welcome to Village Church, man. This is this is uh, this is actually the, this is the Super Bowl Sunday for Christians. I mean, Easter is a big deal for us, and I you know I don't know if it's I know for a lot of us it's a big deal because we get clothes, you know, we have to wear bright clothes. Y'all like my Easter shirt? Uh, bright clothes. We have Easter egg hunts. We have to be with family. All those different things. And of course, the the biggest thing about Easter for us is that it is a day where we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so this is a major league, a major league service for us. Um, before our first service, we're in the third service today, so I'm hoping that I, I don't, uh, if I repeat myself a couple of times, just act like I didn't. But before the first service, there was a little girl that wanted to come to the, to the, you know, the big church, and so she told her dad she wanted to sit in here, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, we'd be glad for you to do it. And she said, well, I got a question. She said, is, is Pastor Eric, is he going to be funny? And uh, he said, well, yeah, I'm sure he will be. And she goes, no, I mean, is he going to be, like, funnier than, like, he normally is? And so uh, I was like, man, this is a tough crowd. And so anyway, I told her that, that Easter applied to everybody but her. But anyway, um, y'all, today we are talking about, obviously, the resurrection. And uh, when you talk about, when you talk about Jesus lived and then he died, and then three days later, he rose from the grave. That is a, an, it's, it's such a fantastic story that if you are naturally a skeptic, it is very difficult to believe that. I mean, it's a nice story, but come on. I mean, how many of y'all have actually seen somebody dead? How many of y'all gone to a funeral and a guy got up out of the casket and left? I mean, it just doesn't happen. And so you, you think about Easter, and, and so for some of us, we are just naturally skeptical, and we think, you know, that's a great story, but it's almost too good to be true, and if something like it happened, there's got to be a catch somewhere. I remember back in the 1988 Olympics, I remember watching it, and it was, you know, Carl Lewis was running the 100 meters, and everybody thought that he was going to win, he was a defending champion, and you might remember in the race, he was running against, the, uh, running against a guy from Canada named Ben, uh, ben Johnson. And Carl Lewis had pretty much dominated him for years until recently. And when they ran that race, Ben Johnson ended up blowing everybody away and he set a new world record in the 100-meter dash. Now, it was a, a something that everybody saw happen, but what they were to learn just a few days later is it was too good to be true. And the reason why is because he cheated. He's taking steroids, it improved his performance, and it wasn't real. And I think sometimes there are those of us who come and approach Easter, or we approach things of faith, and we say, those are great stories, but man, they just seem like they are, they are too good to be real. And if that's any kind of a sense that you have in your life today, then I, I hope today that you'll see that there's some good news. And I hope today that you will see that Scripture points out to us that this isn't just a story, but this is something that is real. The resurrection of Jesus is real. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll look and uh, you know, we'll start in verse number 3, and we'll go through verse number 8 in just a few moments. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is really a very important passage of Scripture concerning the resurrection that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. And the reason why is this chapter, the beginning of it, gives a biblical defense of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the guy who wrote this letter was a man named Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to the church that was in Corinth. 
Now, Corinth is in, it's in modern-day Greece. And for many of you, you know that in Greece, especially during these days, there were very well-known philosophers, and even in times before this. You know, there's Aristotle, and there's Plato, and there's Epicurus, and all these different philosophers. And some of their beliefs, or some of their teachings, were that life, or that your body was a prison. And the only way that you would find freedom was through death. And then Paul comes along, and Paul comes right next to the Parthenon, you know, at the Acropolis, and he begins to preach, and he preaches that Jesus lives. He preaches that Jesus lived, and then he died, and then he rose from the grave. And the Greek philosophers didn't like it. They're like, your body's a prison. This isn't good news to us. We, we think this is a story that you're making up. There's no way this could be true. But Paul begged to differ. And Paul said, listen, I have evidence... I have things that I can say to you that shows that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he rose again. And he wanted to point out to these people in Corinth that there were people who actually saw Jesus alive after the resurrection. Well, who saw Jesus alive after the resurrection? We're just going to see three, three groups of people. First one is the disciples. Jesus' followers saw him after the resurrection. And this is actually this is a bigger deal than what it sounds like at the beginning. Uh, verse number 3. Paul wrote, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Now, Cephas is another name for Bocephus. Now, Cephas is another name for Peter. And so it tells us that after the resurrection that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And it's kind of interesting. Peter, as you might re recall, he was the guy that was, I mean, he's always kind of like, it seemed like he was sticking his foot in his mouth all the time and he's following after Jesus. He was a guy that's very passionate for Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love Peter so much is that uh, whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, we're talking about guys that follow Jesus. They were coming after Jesus. What does Peter do? Uh, he whips out a sword. He, he starts swinging it. And you're thinking, man, what's this deal with uh, Christians being nice? I mean, so here's Peter. He's whipping around a sword. He's going to defend Jesus. And then we, we get to the day before Jesus goes to the cross. And what does Peter do? He gets scared. And they begin to say, well, you're a follower of Jesus. And he denied Jesus on three different occasions. And the third time when he denied Jesus, we are told that Jesus happened to look over at Peter. And when he saw him, we are told that Peter was crushed with guilt. He's crushed with guilt for three days. But then something happened. Easter. The very first Easter happened. And Jesus went to Peter and talked to him. Can you imagine that conversation? Resurrected Jesus. Peter's denied him. And Jesus goes to Peter and basically he's telling him, I want you to know your sins are forgiven. I want you to know that I, that I live. There's nothing that you can do that will separate you from me. Now, if Peter's the only guy who saw Jesus alive after the resurrection, you could say, that's a good story, but he's making it up because he doesn't want to look bad. It says the other disciples, though, saw him as well. You could be skeptical and say, well, you know, they followed him for three years, now he's dead, and it looks like they've wasted their lives. Let me tell you something. If they made up a lie, it was a lie, the resurrection was a lie that changed their lives. It's dramatic. 
When Jesus went to the cross, you know what the disciples did? They ran away and they hid. They were scared to death because they thought they were the next ones who would be arrested and crucified because they followed Jesus. I mean, they killed Jesus and they're thinking, they're coming after us next. But then something happened that changed these men. Three days later, they saw Jesus. And they became different men. As you read through the scripture, you'll see that they were men who became bold. They spoke out for Jesus. Their lives were restored. Why? Because when Jesus showed himself to them, they had hope again. And the disciples went from despair at the death of Jesus to all of a sudden they're these brave men. They are men who have hope and passion. Now one thing I like is the, the realness of Scripture. The disciples are all excited, but there's, only, there's always one Debbie Downer everywhere. You know, wah, wah, wah. In the Scripture, you know who it is? It's Thomas. Now Thomas was a disciple of Jesus. His nickname is Doubting Thomas. I actually like Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap, but I like Thomas. Thomas did not see Jesus right after he rose from the dead. And so here comes Thomas, the big realist of all the groups, the big cynic, and here's what he said. He said, I've got to see the nail prints and put my fingers into them and thrust my hand into his side or I will not believe. you got to see it before I believe it. Jesus shows up. And Jesus walks over to Thomas, John 20, 27. He said, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hand. Reach your hand here. Put it at my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Do you think that scene freaked out Thomas? It says he saw him. Did you know Thomas didn't do any of those things? He did not put his finger into his nail prints. He did not put his hand into his side. You know what he did? He dropped to his knees and he said, My Lord and my God. And his life was forever changed. Why? Because he saw Jesus. Do you think these men would have gone to their deaths if this story wasn't true? Do you know that all the disciples, all 11 disciples, were martyred? For their faith. But one. John was not martyred for his faith. The only thing that happened to him is they boiled him in oil and then exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because of their faith and confidence that Jesus rose from the grave. They were willing to endure these things, even death, because Jesus lives. Who saw Jesus? The disciples saw Jesus. Uh, we're going to see another group saw Jesus, and that was, it says, the 500 in Jesus' family. Uh, verse 6, it says, then he, Jesus, appeared to over 500 brothers, and this is key, at one time, and most of whom remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, which, happened, which is Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles. Now you have this text, which is one of the first texts written, it's very, happened within three years, this was written within three years of Jesus' resurrection very close to the time period when all this stuff happened. Now scholars look at this, they know this, and so they say, well, what happened is these people say they saw Jesus, but they had a mass hallucination. Jesus appeared to them at one time, mass hallucination. Y'all, th there's no such thing as a mass hallucination where everybody, where 500 people see the same thing at the same time. So what's happening here? Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, maybe Paul said 500 people to make the numbers sound impressive. You know, we all do that. You know, preachers do that. How many people did the Easter egg hunt yesterday? Well, I, probably 15,000. 
you know. So we, we do stuff, you know, kind of say stuff to make it seem more impressive. Now, is that what Paul was doing here? Absolutely not. You see, the people of Corinth doubted the resurrection of Jesus, and you know what Paul's doing? Paul said, hey, if you don't believe me, there's 500 people. Remember, this is within three years of this happening. You know, if you don't believe me, go talk to these 500 people who saw him. He's giving, he's giving evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. He said even his family saw him. Now you might say, well, his family, well, of course they're going to be biased. They're going to say nice things about Jesus. But Jesus' family, they thought he was crazy. Mark chapter 3, James and the other brothers, they go to Jesus. They told him to quit preaching. He said, quit preaching. Quit telling people you're the son of God. You're embarrassing the family. You're hurting our reputation. If you go to Mark chapter 6... The, the brothers again approach Jesus and they tell him, Jesus, you're mad. You have a demon. We're taking you home. You know, probably the hardest group of people to convince of something great in your life is, is your family. Right? And for those of you who have siblings, if, you're, if your sibling tells you of something great that they've done, they're going to do, you, typically your first instinct is to not believe them. Why? Because you know them. Right? But you live with them. You live with them. That's, that's Jesus' brothers. How in the world can he be the Son of God? And when we hear something extraordinary, our first response is not to believe it. And that's my, that, at least that's me. Let me share with you what was said at a church gathering in 1870. A bishop said, the millennium's at hand. Man has invented everything that can be invented. Nothing new will be invented. It's kind of depressing. We've kind of reached the top, 1870. One guy said, I don't believe it. He said, what do you mean? He said, I believe that man's going to learn how to fly. Bishop said, that's heresy. God did not create man to fly. What's interesting about the story is that the bishop's name was Milton Wright. Milton had two boys named Orville and Wilbur, which is horrible names, by the way. But Orville, Orville and Wilbur. If anybody's named Orville or Wilbur, I was teasing. Um, Orville and Wilbur. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Their dad said flying is a heresy. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to go to their dad and go, Hey, Dad, uh, we created this thing called a plane, and we can actually fly. Uh, very difficult. Would have been very difficult to do. Well, think about Jesus. Jesus has to go to his family and say, Hey, guys, I'm, I'm the Son of God. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Messiah. The brothers, they're like, no, no, you're not. You're not any better than us. Your mom and dad are Mary and Joseph. What do you mean that you're the Son of God? You know, Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have performed a miracle right in front of his brothers and, you know, and just, you know, going, look at that. You know, just to perform a miracle, say, I am. But Jesus didn't do that. And I was thinking about after the resurrection, it would have been very easy for Jesus after the resurrection to go pe to people who doubted him, to go to Pilate, who presided over him before he was to be executed, and said, you messed with the wrong guy. I mean, he could have gone to the religious leaders of the day. Come back to life again. Remember, they slapped him in the face when he said, I am who you say I am. He could have gone to them and said, boys, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it with James either. James, who was embarrassed of Jesus after he saw Jesus changed. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem that numbered over 100,000 people. He was the first of the disciples who was killed, or the first, of, the first of the followers of Jesus, one of the first of the followers of Jesus who was killed because he refused to renounce Jesus. The people who knew Jesus the best and who doubted him, at the end, they believed in him.
Because Jesus lives. Because he conquered the grave. Now, who saw Jesus? It's a big made-up story, right? No, the disciples saw Jesus. 500 people and his family saw him. And then the last one I want to point out to you is the author of this book, 1 Corinthians, saw him. Paul. Verse number 8, Paul said this. He said, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Y'all know who Paul is? Paul was a man who, before he's a follower of Jesus, hates Christians. For 40 days, Jesus stayed on this earth after the resurrection. He went around talking to people, teaching people, showing, showing himself to people. He did, and then he ascended to heaven, didn't appear again until he appeared to Paul two years later. Paul hated Christians. He executed them. He was there at the very first execution of a Christian that we know of in Scripture with Stephen. He, would, he was looking to imprison and kill as many Christians as possible. And so you'd have to say, if, if there's going to be anybody that's going to be converted to following after Jesus, Paul is not going to be a good candidate. He's a guy who hates Jesus. He adamantly refused to accept the resurrection of Jesus. He wouldn't do it. The only way Paul's going to convert is if Jesus showed up personally and said, Look at me. I'm here before you today. And you know what? That's what happened. Paul, who persecuted Christians, did you know that he became the number one missionary and church planter of all time after he saw the resurrected Jesus? Why did he change? Because he saw Jesus. You know, whenever you... Whenever you take a hard stance on something, and I would say killing people because you disagree with their faith, that's a hard stance. To change, something significant's got to happen. You know, anytime you make a hard stance on something and then you find out you're not right, oh, it's hard. isn't it hard to go back and eat crow? Uh, let me give you an example of my own life. I remember in, in 2000, the year 2000, I went to, my family went to Texas to my grandfather's funeral. I left early, and then Emily said, I've got my keys, car keys in your book bag. Do you remember this, Emily? Car keys in your book bag. And she said, uh, so when you get there, you can take the car keys out, and then you drive my car home. So we land at, land at the airport. I get my book bag, open it up, and I, I walk to the car. There are no keys in the book bag. And I'm, I'm not happy. You know, I'm ticked off, I'm stuck at an airport, I can't get in Emily's car. I'm thinking about breaking her window to get in, but I don't know how to hotwire a car, so that's not going to do me any good. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm angry. And so I call Emily, and um, we have this wonderful conversation. <laughs> it's like, I love you. And then, where's the keys? You know, I'm just like screaming, I'm angry. I'm like, they're not in the book bag. I gave her the what for. And then, you know, right after that, I hang up on her. Okay, and I, I, I go home, get her right home, and... Um, so a couple days later, Emily comes home, and surprisingly, she does not walk up to me and go, I've missed you, you know, she doesn't hug me or kiss me. What she does is she walks straight to the book bag. Now, I'm an idiot. Why would I leave it out? So she walks straight to the book bag. She opens it up and pulls the keys out. And I'm like, this is David Blaine magic. Don't know how you did that. But she, she pulls the keys out. Now, I've taken such a hard stand about how wrong she was, how irritated I am, even though I saw it with my own eyes, I almost refused to believe it. I was like, that is, I'm hallucinating. Um, but, you know, anytime you take a hard stand, boy, it's hard to backtrack, so you have to see it. 
Paul had taken a hard stand, but Jesus shows up and reveals himself to him, and Paul's life's changed. Guys, your life doesn't change for a lie. There's a man named uh, Paul Little who said, People will die for the truth. They'll even die in sincerity for a lie. But they will not die for a lie they know is a lie. All these men died for their faith. Paul was beheaded because he would not renounce Jesus. What happened that made him like this? He saw the risen Savior. Would would, Would people throw away their lives and suffer and die if Jesus wasn't real? If Jesus didn't conquer death? You know, if they really wanted to prove Jesus didn't live, the only thing anyone had to do was to go to the grave and drag his body out and say, here he is, he's dead. But nobody did it. They couldn't. Why? Because he conquered death. One day God saw Satan carrying a huge bag, and God walked over to him and he said, what's in the bag? And Satan said, all of mankind. He said, what are you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to torment them and then throw them into hell. And then God said, what would you take for them? And he said, I'll take your son. And God made the deal. Guys, it is that deal. It is God giving his son for us that is in fact our only hope that we have in life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John said in 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son, who has Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You know why why Easter is such a big deal to us? Because Easter sets us free. Easter gives us life. Easter gives us hope. Did it happen? People saw Jesus. He was seen by the disciples. He was seen by the 500 and his family. He was seen by the Apostle Paul. But here's the question. Now, Jesus is alive, but the question is, is he alive in you? Is he alive in you? Or is this just another holiday where you come, you celebrate, eat with family, go home, and just keep on trucking with the life, life that you have right now? Let me tell you something. When you recognize Jesus lives, he will change your life. And you will be forever different. Because you now have hope that there is a God who knows you, who loves you, who forgives you, and who provides you with eternal life. Do you want it? Because God's already paid for it. 